listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist for the American Council of the Blind. And thanks for throwing it to me, Claire. This is Clark Rockfall. I am the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thank you to everyone who is streaming, listening, downloading, and of course, subscribing and uh, leaving us some nice ratings That's right. via your favorite podcast player, as well as everyone listening over ACB radio. Yeah. So you can always find out more about ACB at acb.org. And thank you to Sprint T-Mobile for underwriting this and all of our podcasts through the end of 2020. So we are here today to talk about some really cool stuff going on in the Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC for short, um, specifically having to do with the disability community and accessibility for those of us who are blind or visually impaired. So um, just as a quick little under, you know, description, we're talking about audio description. So um, we'll be talking about many different components and facets about what the FCC is doing more broadly, what audio description is as a whole, just kind of all the different facets that surround that. Um, I don't know about you, Clark, but I am a big fan of audio description. It makes a huge difference when I watch the many hours of television I probably shouldn't be watching. Um, Not only am I a fan of audio description, Claire, my wife is a fan of audio description because then she doesn't have to be my own (laughs) personal audio describer. You are not the first person I've been told that with a sighted spouser. Yeah. (laughs) So... Yeah, so um, we um, will go ahead and jump in. We have two guests today who are very, um, very involved in this topic, work in this world, sit on advisory committees, things like that. So we're really fortunate to have people who really know the ins and outs of this topic. So the first guest we have today is Sam. Sam, I apologize. Is your last name pronounced Yule? It's pronounced Yale. Yale, I apologize. Sam Yale, um, already being corrected at the beginning. Um, But we're excited. Sam is a member of ACB um, and somebody who sits on the Disability Advisory Committee, or DAC for short, um, within the FCC. So, Sam, do you want to go ahead and quickly introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me, Clark and Claire. I'm delighted to be on the podcast. Longtime listener, first-time caller, and I'm a big fan of audio description myself. I am a digital accessibility consultant with Level Access. Uh, We are an accessibility consultancy. We ensure that digital systems are accessible to users with disabilities. We assist organizations with that by providing software services and training. And we uh, believe that we want to enable all people to live their best life through access to technology, focusing on providing accessible accessibility for people with disabilities. So as part of my work, uh, I've served three terms on the FCC Disability Advisory Committee, and that is a federal advisory committee. So there's a law called the Federal Advisory Committee Act, and that allows government agencies to establish these advisory committees. And the purpose of the committees is essentially to provide input to the different federal agencies on issues um, from different stakeholders, you could call it, uh, for example, uh, the FCC has the Disability Advisory Committee that they formed, and they have stakeholders from uh, many different types of organizations, uh, including consumer organizations like ACB, NFB, uh, organizations serving disabilities such as um, 
American Foundation for the Blind, and uh, not just blindness consumer organizations, but other com- consumer organizations such as the National Association of the Deaf and the Hearing Loss Association of America. But they don't just have consumer organizations and uh, organizations serving people with disabilities uh, on their committee. They also have members of industry in the telecommunications and broadcast uh, industry and uh, various industries that affect broadcast and communications. They have uh, representatives from academia. So it's a really nice, well-rounded committee that is essentially set up to inform the FCC on issues that impact uh, people with disabilities that they have jurisdiction over. And so the FCC, you can generally think of them as having jurisdiction over communications access and then access to broadcasting such as uh, television and radio. And so we take up different issues that uh, impact those areas, um, including access to communication services, whether those are over the telephone uh, network, the public telephone network, such as um, providing access for uh, TTY, real-time text, and uh, relay services for the deaf. And then, uh, of course, in the broadcast space, we take up issues such as uh, access to closed captioning, uh, audio description, emergency uh, information access, and then access to um, digital media players such as televisions and uh, DVD players. Yeah, I know since I've been at ACB, I've been the alternate for ACB. Tony Stevens is our uh, the representative for ACB, but um, I've been able to attend all the meetings as a result. And I just find it so fascinating and fun to see all the different players in the room from various departments and communities and what have you. And it's, it's a great group of people to bring together from such different places and ideas and perspectives, but to work on these issues. So it's definitely a great, great place to be to hear um, hear about how we can work on these issues. Um, so one thing we wanted to talk specifically about today, Sam, was one of the, do you guys call them working groups or subcommittees that was formed to talk specifically about audio description quality? Um, and from my understanding, you were kind of one of the, the leads or the heads of that working group. Can you talk a little bit about why you guys wanted to talk about audio description quality or what does audio description quality even mean? Sure, absolutely. So the uh, FCC, the the way that um, proceedings happen in the DAC is that uh, they essentially form working groups. Uh, The the way the process works now is that uh, the FCC will select a working group to explore an issue that they feel is relevant. Um, So in this case, the issue that was being explored was the quality of audio description, in in other words, uh, establishing some sort of uh, baseline or benchmark to ensure uh, good quality audio description. And of course, the FCC jurisdiction over audio description right now is just over television. So we're really talking about broadcast and cable television right now and ensuring uh, adequate or high quality audio descriptions. And so the FCC selected uh, members of what you could um, essentially consider experts. So uh, that could be experts in the broadcast space or in the audio description space, uh, consumers, people with different uh, levels of experience or degrees of expertise, and people who really had an issue uh, or who understood the issues of, of what needed to be done and what goes into quality audio descriptions. And so uh, we actually had a number of different members uh, of ACB who were selected 
to serve on that working group, including myself and Joel Snyder and Carl Richardson. And uh, I probably shouldn't name any more names because I don't want to accidentally offend somebody by uh, Mm -hmm. not mentioning them. Um, But we did have uh, a number of ACB members involved. And we also had uh, members from, from NFB and from AFB and uh, from the broadcast industry as well. And uh, we had one common goal, which was to, or I I guess we all had one common desire, which was that we wanted uh, good quality audio descriptions to air on television uh, that the consumers would enjoy and like and and want to uh, to consume. But uh, you know, in the working groups, because you have stakeholders, you can have different perspectives. And so that's that's really the purpose of the working groups is to explore these issues, what the um, areas of concern are that need to be addressed, and uh, what the recommendations are. So we were really tasked with coming up with recommendations for what goes into uh, good quality audio descriptions. And, you know, kind of jumping forward, I know it was something you guys worked on for quite a few months, like a lot of things. Uh, they take time to kind of go through many different um, stages and discussions and processes. Uh, what was kind of the, the outcome? Did you, uh, do you, were you guys happy with what came out and what was the, the end product? I would say that uh, overall we uh, achieved our objective, and uh, the reason I say that is because we actually were able to reach consensus on a recommendation. That's um, great, yeah. Yeah, and uh, when you have many different perspectives and viewpoints, you know, that that can um, be an involved process, and I'm very glad we were able to get there, but it, it was because we all had this desire to uh, ensure good quality audio description. And so we did develop a recommendation, and that recommendation is publicly available um, on the FCC website. If you go to FCC.gov slash accessibility, you will reach the homepage for the FCC Disability Rights Office. And then on that page is a link for the Disability Advisory Committee. And that will take you to the page for the DAC. And if you go to the third term of the DAC, which was the one ju- that just wrapped up this year, um, that has the not only the recommendation that the DAC voted on and approved, but also all of the meetings are open to the public. They're streamed online on the FCC website. And then when the FCC actually uh, meets in person again, uh, you can actually attend those as a member of the public. So those meetings are open to the public, and they're all archived. You can actually go up there and watch all the proceedings from the previous DAC meetings. And we can put a link to that that report that everybody can check out if they're interested, because it's a great great thing to to get your hands on and take a look at. So, yeah. Sam, what has your experience, your three terms uh, working with the DAC, been like? So obviously, you have this ADQ audio description quality uh, consensus report that you're able to reach, and just in general, how has the experience been? It's been very enlightening for me. It's really helped me grow, especially working with uh, people in, in different industries and with different perspectives and, and viewpoints. And uh, it's also been very interesting in forming my professional career mm-hmm. uh, because we're in the accessibility space. Um, but, you know, we tend to work with organizations that are uh, seeking to make their, their systems accessible, such as websites, mobile apps. Um, we do do quite a bit of CVA work, which is uh, one of the reasons that I was selected to serve on the DAC. Um, and one thing that many people are not aware of 
in terms of the CVAA is that it not only covers audio description and broadcast, but it also covers two-way communications. And so um, I've really been um, learned a lot about real-time text, for example, which is going to replace uh, TTY or, or the phone lines and uh, how that impacts um, callers who are deafblind and uh, need to have access to that, to that through Braille. And uh, it's just been very informative to get all of the different perspectives and to work with everybody. And it really has ex enhanced my knowledge and my perspective of accessibility and what that really means in terms of communication and how that impacts the consumer. You talked about real-time text as one form of two-way communication, which, like you said, is really big, especially for uh, the deafblind uh, world. Are there other forms of two-way communication that would fall under um, under the CVA that would be examples our members would would understand and relate to and use on a daily basis? Absolutely. I, I think the area of advanced communication services doesn't get talked enough, talked about enough, and that is uh, an area of the CVAA. And I think one of the reasons it doesn't get talked about enough is because a lot of people don't really know what it means. And um, they're not really aware of what's covered uh, by these advanced communication services rules. And so the way to break it down and to think about it is that two-way communications are essentially covered. And those two-way communications either have to be real-time or near real-time. So uh, when we think of that, we can think of like messaging, instant messaging, text messaging, um, email. Those are types of two-way communications that are explicitly mentioned in the FCC report and order. And another uh, area or industry where we have seen an impact in this is, has been the video game industry. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's something that I really haven't heard uh, mentioned a whole lot, but it became clear that the ACS rules applied to video games because the video game industry applied for a waiver from the FCC rules and uh, it was granted. So first the waiver was granted to the hardware manufacturers and then that waiver expired and then it was granted granted to the software title manufacturers and then that waiver, waiver expired. So it's clear that the FCC interprets any two-way communication features to apply to video games as well. And so if you think about the technologies that you have that have two-way communication features built into them, not just products, but also um, if you think about, you know, social media sites that have like inboxes or even like a dating site, you know, that has uh, email, uh, the FCC has uh, made it fairly clear in their report or in order that the um, two-way communication that's covered is what they call real-time or near real-time. And so uh, real-time communication would be like anything type of messaging, instant messaging, and then near real-time would be anything like uh, email where it may not be an immediate response, but it's not like a delayed response. And so the um, they, they also mentioned that the... Um, it doesn't apply to social media posts. So like if you post, you know, on Facebook and someone leaves you comments, that's not really considered two-way communication. But I, I think there are a lot of areas where these rules probably apply. And uh, we're, not, we're not really, you know, following up on, on that or advocating uh, for those rules to be enforced. So you said things like Facebook wouldn't, but what if I try to direct message Clark on Facebook? What if it's two in the morning and I just want to send him a DM over and over and over again just to annoy him? Would that be covered? 
Yeah. So again, um, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, so these are not these are not legal For sure, opinions. These are these are our technical expert opinions. Yeah. So we get we get brought in as technical experts, basically, mm-hmm. to answer the question of of what's covered and, and not covered, what's not covered. And so you know, we always say consult your lawyer for the actual of legal course. interpretation mm-hmm. of that. But our technical interpretation of that is that the Facebook Messenger part of Facebook would be covered because that is intended to be two-way communication between humans that is real-time or near real-time. But the posting, if you post on your wall and people can leave comments, uh, that would not be covered. But that's our interpretation of reading the FCC report and order on the advanced communication services rules. Such a new frontier. Yeah. And advanced communication server services cover uh, text communication as well as audio communication. Uh, but does not at this time cover an undefined term at the FCC, interoperable video communication, Uh, which leads me to my next question, Sam, of, I guess, where would you like to see the the DAC or the FCC go? And it's a broad question. We've talked a lot about audio description and the work being done there, but now that we're talking about the other aspects of the CVAA, where would you like to see this go in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. So the FCC is a federal agency and they are regulated by Congress. Um, So they only have jurisdiction over, you know, certain areas. Uh, So as much as, you know, we would like them to pass rules uh, requiring audio description, let's say on streaming media services, you know, they may not have the authority from Congress to do that. And so then Congress would need, then need to give them that authority. So I think we really need to work to uh, change the congressional laws to give these agencies more authority uh, to, to be able to advance accessibility. Because uh, one thing that I learned about my work with the FCC is that they really do seem to be interested in consumer issues. Uh, for example, every year they have this Chairman's AAA Award for Advancement on Accessibility, where they recognize players who are doing something in the field to contribute to an advanced accessibility for people with disabilities. And so these issues do seem important to them, and they do uh, seek comment and feedback from the public. So I think that as long as they are given the congressional authority to do something, that they will expand access when, when they have the opportunity to do, to do so. But if they don't have the authority to do it, then uh, they won't be able to make any progress in, in those areas. If you could wave a magic wand and get something added to the CVAA, or what a lot of times we call here the CVAA 2.0, what's, what's something you would, or maybe not, uh, what's something you would want to be added to the CVAA? I, I don't know if it's been your experience, but uh, what I've seen over time with respect to accessibility laws is that they generally tend to be behind the curve. Mm-hmm. And so what I saw with the CVAA was it was signed uh, 10 years ago, uh, and it required audio description on broadcast television, and streaming media was just, just starting to take off. And so I think the CVAA was an attempt to catch up. Uh, we were trying to move advanced communications forward from, uh, for example, applying to the telephone network to applying to the internet and IP-based networks. Uh, but we need to actually try to get ahead of the game. And so we need, uh, I, I think the CVAA was an attempt to 
uh, implement forward thinking, but because, for example, the audio description rules are limited to uh, what the FCC has jurisdiction over, which is um, broadcast and, and cable television, they don't apply to the streaming realm. And so I would love to see some sort of regulation put in place or some sort of laws put in place that would really uh, expand what's covered and uh, under the definition of accessible technology and what needs to be made accessible. And now we're advancing into uh, so many new exciting frontiers with technology, with augmented and virtual reality and uh, what's called XR, which is basically a combination of all types of reality or mixed reality. And um, we have to ensure that these new technologies that are being developed are going to be accessible. And if there are no regulations or motivations for organizations to make them uh, accessible, then uh, what is the incentive for them? And so, yeah, please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I love that line you just said, regulations or motivations. I, I'm going to use that. I like that. Right. Right. Because the, because you know, the, the stick is, is not the only motivator, right? Some organizations are actually doing things because it's the right thing to do and they want more consumers using their products. And so we need to encourage them to do that. And I think it's also important for us as members to advocate for access to accessible technology. And that requires us to uh, know what these organizations are required to do uh, also to identify whether something is an accessibility issue or whether it's an issue with the way we're using our technology. And then also, how are we going to report that issue and advocate for it to be fixed and addressed? Well, Sam, thank you so much for your advocacy and your work with the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee. We certainly appreciate you joining us to share your perspective here today. It's been a pleasure being on the show. Thank you for having me. Great. Well, thank you again, Sam. And this conversation is not over, everybody. So stay tuned and we'll be back with our next guest in just a second. Do you remember BPI? Oh, yeah. Blind LGBT Pride International. They're a special interest affiliate of ACB. Yes, they are the ones doing all these cool things at convention. Guess what they're up to now? Do tell. Their own show. It's called Pride Connection. That's great, but what if I'm not a part of the LGBT community? This is a show for everyone. Actually, non-LGBT and non-disabled folks are known as allies, and they are a huge portion of BPI's membership. Everyone is welcome. So what kinds of topics can I expect from Pride Connection? Fun and relevant topics for everyone, from blindness to LGBT education, technology to advocacy. So when will Pride Connection take place? Every Tuesday at 10 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to tune in so we can all connect and learn while having fun. Pride Connection on ACB Radio Mainstream. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, I hope you enjoyed that first half with Sam. I know I really enjoyed it. And we are now back with our next guest, um, Mr. I shouldn't say Mr. Dr. Joel Snyder. Excuse me. Oh, my. Me. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joel is the director of ACB's Audio Description Project, um, a really exciting project that we are um, fortunate to be involved with here at ACB. So I was about to try to describe it, but Joel, in 30 seconds or less, what is the AD, uh, ADP? What's the Audio Description Project? 
It is a uh, uh, an, an, an <laughs> it is an initiative. Boy, for someone who uses his voice, I, that was a poor beginning. It is an initiative of the American Council of the Blind, designed to promote audio description and provide information on audio description. Every now and then, we have special projects where we produce some audio description uh, for certain special events, the the presidential inaugurals, the eclipse, uh, that kind of thing. But I think we do a good job in, in providing information and creating um, buzz about audio description. So, and Joel, we talked with Sam about the work of the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee, or the DAC, <laughs> as well as their work on audio description quality. And you literally wrote the book on audio description. So, <laughs> in your own words, what makes for quality audio description? Well, you know, the, the, working with Sam on the uh, DAC and, and in the audio description uh, quality working group was, was a great experience to work with somebody like Sam, for instance, who's uh, not only an audio description consumer himself, but he knows about description. He's, he's experienced with description, and I, I think he would agree that there are three elements, essentially, to producing description, particularly with respect to media. Uh, but the first is has to do with its writing. It, audio description is a literary art form. It's about words. It's about making the visual verbal, as I say in my book. And oral, A-U-R-A-L, I'm pointing to my ear. And oral, O-R-A-L, I'm pointing to my mouth. So the words that are being used and selected, are that's just such a critical part of description being concise, being vivid, being imaginative, creating an image in the mind's eye of the listener. The second part of that is it's voiced. Uh, almost all description is is voiced, um, uh, very much like poetry, perhaps uh, uh, you could say that. So they're going to be, uh, in the writing, they're going to be sometimes actual poetic techniques used like uh, onomatopoeia or uh, um, consonants uh, or other kinds of uh, alliteration, perhaps, that sort of thing. All of that has to get picked up by a voice talent, the person who voices the description. We make meaning with our voices. And uh, I'll give you a real quick example. When I teach that part of, of description, I, I oftentimes offer the phrase, Claire, you'll enjoy this, woman without her man is a savage. <laughs> See, Claire agrees. Claire agrees. Clark, we're good here, right? No, no Claire Clark. doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Clark is going to keep quiet. No, of, of course, of course, that's a silly phrase. But if can you say that phrase back to me? Don't change any words. Don't add any words. Don't take away any words. Don't rearrange them. Just just say those words. And the way you say them, make it mean the opposite. You know, woman without her man is a savage. Claire. Okay, Claire. <laughs> I think you need to say it, Clark. <laughs> Woman, without her, man is a savage. Uh, just the voice, just the voice. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, oral interpretation is all about uh, making, uh, using the voice to indicate punctuation in, in a way, mm -hmm. you know. And then the third area uh and specifically with respect to media, since we mentioned the FCC, is the audio editing. Uh, that process is is critical uh, to making uh, description uh, audible, 
uh, to making it clear, uh, to making sure it fits just right. We like to talk about weaving the description around a program, sound elements, uh, dialogue, other sound elements, that sort of thing. So those three areas. And I, I want to add, too, real quickly that uh, people who are blind, audio description consumers, can be very involved and actually work, actually find paying good old cash American dollars as uh, as a part of the field uh, in the writing of description. You know, if they're not actually seeing the images, well, certainly a person who's blind can be a good writer and knows how to use language. So that kind of consultancy is extremely valuable because it's the, the, the knowledge of writing and language combined with the perspective of someone who's blind is really valuable. And then, of course, some of the best uh, um, voice talents in audio description are people who are blind. And some of the best um, uh, audio editors are people who are totally blind. So uh, I like to mention that and encourage the idea of consumers of description being really right there involved in, in the production of audio description. That's great. So going back to the DAC, because we're going to refer to the DAC a lot, because that's what we talked about with Sam and um, kind of was the, the, the initiative for talking with, with you both today. Um, one thing that I know was passed um, in this last uh, session of the DAC was changing the language of video description to audio description. Sometimes we hear those used interchangeably, but it was a really big push um, to, to make it more... Um, uh, you know, it, it, the same across the board to use video or excuse me, as I say it wrong, to use audio description across <laughs> the board. Can you talk a little bit about kind of what the the push for that was and what the, the history of that is? Oh, boy. Amen. I'm so glad you asked about that because that's been a, a little uh, a bug of mine to go <laughs> after for decades, actually, because indeed over decades, uh, the world out there has come up with all kinds of phrases and titles and names for what we do, you know, which is audio description. But the What's FCC... What's the funniest thing you've ever heard? Well, yeah, yeah, the FCC glommed onto video description. <laughs> but, you know, you don't have that in captions. You don't call captions for video video captions and then uh-huh. in a film it's film captions and then somewhere else it's something else no it, it, it's all captioning you know that kind of thing but there's there's audio narration there's descriptive narration there's dvs descriptive video service which is the brand name for what wgbh mm-hmm. does and they were the first to do it on television so people uh, kind of started thinking about dvs that clever uh, combination of letters sort of like that's not a tissue it's a kleenex you know that, that's not a bandage it's it's a band-aid you know or a that, CNI oh, dog there yeah. you go there you go it's that's not audio description that's dvs you know um but verbal description is big in new york especially in the museum community and what it comes down to in my mind is we are struggling to make better known what it is we do uh, among the general public, uh, among consumers, though, too. You know, folks in the general public, they see captions. They, they, they Captions are used in bars. They're, they're used uh, in the gym. Uh, people know about captions, you know. But description, if you want to use description, you really have to already know about it. You have to ask for it. We, we lack visibility, if you will. And I think that is just compounded when there are umpteen phrases 
for what we do. Um, so people get, I get that all the time. Is it, well, is audio description the same as video description? Is descriptive narration the same as uh, audio narration? What All these phrases. So I, I, was, um, I was eager to have the DAC consider uh, this notion of, of let's, let's just go with audio description Please, please, please. And um, the DAC uh, was convinced and the FCC was convinced. So it, it looks like we've, we've won a, a little victory there. Yes, at the October 27th FCC open meeting, the report in order to kind of modernize the terminology at the FCC to audio description that was adopted. Another item that was adopted was the expansion of broadcast designated market areas. So not only do the top 60 markets, uh, broadcast markets are the four main broadcasters required to pass through audio description, but beginning next year, 10 additional markets will be added. And then in 2022, another 10 until in 2024, we get up to the top 100 markets. And curious to hear your thoughts on that, Joel. (laughs) Yeah, you know, it's an important step. Uh, It's just not anywhere near enough. There are over 200 markets in this nation. Now, what what's with the other, you know, 150 markets, even after the top 100? I don't, I don't mean to sound, you know, not grateful that there's, there's some progress, there is some progress, and that's a good thing. But, um, you know, all the markets in these United States are required to pass through emergency information, you know, those scrolls at the bottom of the screen that tell you a hurricane is coming or something. You know, that's the law. That emergency information has to be passed through. And in order to do that, they have to have the same kind of technology available uh, that they would pass through description. Uh, And so if the technology is there, why not have everybody pass through the description that's already been created at the network level and it's being set out there. So um, it's, it's a victory for us and it's a good thing, uh, but we need to, we need to go beyond that. And, and not only that, we need to take a clue from the legislation that established captioning um, as a, as a legal mandate, you know, that legislation built in a percent increase every year. Mm. And, and so we're at 100% of broadcasts now virtually are, are captioned. Well, that doesn't, that's not part of the CVAA, the 21st Century Communications and Video Accessibility Act. And maybe when that act is revised, we can build in something like that because we are now at it comes out to about seven hours per week for the top nine networks, the four terrestrial networks that you mentioned, and the top five cable networks. But goodness, there are hundreds of broadcasters, and they all broadcast 24 hours a day. Um, in the UK, 10% of all broadcasts are required to have description. Our seven hours a week doesn't even come to 1% of all mm-hmm. broadcasts in the US. So we've got some work to do. Mm-hmm. And Joel, you touched on it. I mean, part of the reason that the FCC is expanding at 10 broadcast markets a year, uh, that's what the current statute enables them to do. That's right. right? That's right. I think we're all recognizing that the FCC is kind of limited by the statute. The, yep. the great statute, the CVAA, 21st Century Communications Video Accessibility Act, that uh, 
put back in place the audio description uh, requirements, but the FCC has maxed out how many hours it can require broadcasters and cable companies to provide. It's maxed out how many markets it can add each year. Oh, man. So if we get to 100 markets in 2024, I think there's around 250 broadcast markets total. I think that's right, yeah. So that might take some time if (laughs) we're using the current authority at the FCC. That's we, well, that's why we need, as you know, Clark and Claire, uh, we need a, we need a CBAA 2.0, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm hopeful that folks will, you know. And let me say this, and it's not just because I'm talking to you two on an ACB program, but ACB without the ACB, I don't know that there would be a CBAA at all. There certainly wouldn't have been the the kind of uh, development of description even in the 80s and 90s that ACB was was right out there in front. Uh, pushing for audio description and i think acb uh, i i'm sure acb will be a leader in in trying to establish that cvaa 2.0 and joel another area that's not covered by the existing statute uh, is audio description provided by streaming services oh yes and even though the the fcc's regulations don't touch these issues uh, the ACB, as well as the Audio Description Project, and our affiliates have still been successful advocates in this arena. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but again, ACB has been right at the forefront in making this happen. Um Listen, compared to getting the networks to embrace description and such and the cable broadcasters, compared to that, boy, the streaming services have been, they've been just, you know, in love with us, in love with trying to help and and broaden the use of audio description. And that's, that's, that's good. That sounds real good. But I must say that um, it, it probably wouldn't have happened had the ACB not engaged in uh, structured negotiations uh, with those networks. And sometimes advocacy groups have to do that. They have to come up uh, uh, to an entity and say, well, you know, hey, we really feel we need this. Um, can we can we go into a formal structured negotiation process? Let the, we don't need to go to the courts. Let's just try to try to work this out and acb did that and and you know one of the uh, real success stories is netflix well and everybody talks about oh netflix loves description and they do and they've been doing wonderful things Um, but that wouldn't have happened had acb not been in there at the beginning saying look we really want to make this happen and the same thing happened with hbo so um, bravo uh, so to HBO is one of our most recent successes. That's right. Can you talk That's a little right. bit about that? Yeah. Exactly so. And uh, um, I know Kim Charlson, who's one of our two co-chairs of the Audio Description Project Steering Committee, uh, Kim and Carl Richardson. I know Kim was real, uh, followed mm-hmm. that along and really was right at the forefront of those negotiations right there with the attorneys working all of this out. So, uh, you know, it takes a while. It's never fast enough, but we, we made a breakthrough there. And we're going to be looking at other streaming uh, services and other cable broadcasters as well. Yeah. 
gosh, uh, with all this work that you're doing, Joel, I'm just going to have all this television to watch. That's right. What am I going to do right. with myself? Well, no, that's right. I've, I've already talked to Eric, and uh, he's agreed that, uh, you know, you don't have to come to the office anymore. <laughs> COVID or no COVID, you can just sit at home and watch television. And watch as television. Lo- I love as it. As long Thank as you've you. got, you got to have the description on, Claire. You that's gotta- right. <laughs> and Joel, so far we've focused, focused so much on the availability of audio description on television, whether that's TV shows or films, uh, broadcast, cable, streaming services, what other opportunities are there? And what else is the audio description project working on to expand the availability of audio description? Well, that's a great point because audio description as a formal ongoing service, as a, an assistive technology that's now studied around the world and, and it's available in 70-some countries, um, it all began in the performing arts. It all began right here in Washington at Arena Stage, and I was very fortunate to be part of that group of four or five people at the Washington Ear Radio Reading Service that that began this service in conjunction with Arena Stage. And, uh, you know, that that's, will always remain the genesis of the first formal ongoing uh, uh, audio description service. What the Audio Description Project does, we're not just about media. We, we've got a lot of focus on media, and the website um, really has that emphasis, uh, you might say. But we also track, in every state in the nation, we track what performing arts venues have audio description, which theaters, which dance companies, which opera companies. Mm-hmm. Same goes with museums and uh, national park sites, visitor centers. Which museums in your state has description? And we, 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 we need to do a lot more still to build that up so we have something in all 50 states. But, you know, we've gotten at least close to 30 now in both areas that, that indicates some sort of description activity. Um, and that's a great thing because Folks travel. Um, we'll be traveling more once we're past this COVID thing. <laughs> but uh, when you travel, it's nice to know, okay, I'm in Missouri. What kind of audio description is available uh, in a theater for a theater event or, or or at a museum? That kind of thing. So we track that and we track other kinds of special projects that are coming up and uh, events, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm sure Come uh, January 20th, we'll be involved with the uh, description of the inaugural for um, Mr. Biden or Mr. <laughs> Trump. Uh, <laughs> and um, we, we've this done that for the last... recorded on November 3rd. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very and good. this is yeah. a nonpartisan oh, podcast. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. Well, we, we uh, were involved with the audio description broadcast on ABC television for the last three inaugurals. So both of uh, President Obama's inaugurals and um, Mr. Trump's inaugural. Uh, so uh, we'll be there providing the description no matter who is uh, inaugurated as president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> going back to media real quick um joel I, i'm gonna throw a question at you i didn't even warn you i might ask but just to, just to plug it because i was on a call the other night can you tell our listeners about the Beatty competition i'd love to get more awareness out there for students oh that's great absolutely like i say we we have really an, uh, any number of oh, maybe a dozen different initiatives of the audio description project and the Beatty contest is really one of the more fun projects uh Beatty is an acronym b-a-d-i-e for benefits of audio description in education and what we've been doing now for golly nine ten years every year we invite 
kids who are blind from ages 7 to 21 uh, to write reviews, just um, 250, 350 words, and we actually show them how to structure a review, what to focus on. Tell us about the description that was involved in a described video that you watched, or maybe it was a feature film. And we do all of this in conjunction with the Described and Captioned Media Program, which is just a wonderful service that makes certain that educational media screened in schools always has captions, always has description. It's a great service run by my friend and colleague, uh, Jason Stark, funded by the Department of Education. So with them, we put this contest out there and we get entries from kids, blind kids all over the country. We had 40 entries, I think, last year and in three age categories and then the alternate assessment category. The first prize winners get a $100 gift certificate and second and third prize winners get something and even the teachers of the first prize award winners get a hundred dollar amazon card uh and then we choose a grand prize winner and the grand prize winner gets a new convertible no that's not true <laughs> um uh the, the grand prize. no autonomous had, vehicle convertible yeah, no, thank, you. For the future. <laughs> thank you thank you that's right i, I don't want to get i was getting carried away like i was a game show announcer or something no the grand prize winner gets a an ipad mini in addition to because they're one of the first prize award winners so in in addition to their hundred dollar certificate and we've been uh really blessed to have contributions to support the effort and a dcmp has contributed so much and it's just a lot of fun Susan Glass uh, is the chair of our uh, Beatty subcommittee, and she's done a great job stirring up uh, all kinds of interest in the program. This next deadline is January 22nd, 2021, so there's plenty of time. If any kids are out there listening, start thinking about a video you've seen and and start thinking about uh, writing a little review about it. We'll have people can go to the website acb.org slash ADP and we'll have information up there uh, on exactly how to enter. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for talking yeah. about that. You bet. And because you mentioned the website, Joel, oh, acb.org slash ADP, uh, like you said, where students can go to learn more about the Beatty competition. Folks can also go and learn what audio description is available, not only around them at theaters, museums, uh, and so on, but also what's playing tonight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we make a real effort to uh, not only tell people what DVDs, what streaming services are out there with description, but, you know, regular broadcast television. You know, we're recording this uh, on Election Day, a little after two o'clock. I could I could go to the website and find out what is on broadcast television right now two o'clock Eastern time that has audio description. And we have that there for you. So, um, and we have a listing too of, um, golly, I think over 4,000 now DVDs that um, you can, that we know have description tracks and uh, click on one of them on our website and you go right to amazon.com where you can buy the DVD. And if you do that, 
ACB gets like a nickel for each one or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. Uh, and that's why I always say, once you're on the website, buy your, buy a couple of DVDs and then buy a refrigerator or two because we'll get like a <laughs> we'll get like five dollars or something for each refrigerator or something, <laughs> you know. So if you're in the market, uh, Claire, for a, a a new refrigerator or some some hefty expensive appliance, get, go to the Audio Description Project I'll website keep that in first. Mind. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. And Joel, uh, one more thing that's available, a relatively new feature of the acb.org slash ADP website is a search feature. So oh, yeah. instead of looking to see what's playing tonight or playing in the future, if there's something that you know you want to watch and you want to find out if it has been audio described, you yep. can search for that title on the Absolutely. ADP website. And I'll give uh, all due credit to Fred Brack, our webmaster, who uh, just lives, eats, and breathes that website, and especially the media side of things. He he's the one that really made that happen, and it's a it just makes things uh, so much more convenient, a lot easier. Well, thank you so much, Joel. Um, I really enjoyed this, and it's always great to talk about the ADP program because oh, yeah. it's phenomenal. So thank you for – well, first of all, thank you for all the work you do in the audio description world, and uh, thank you for, for being here with us Oh, today. thank you so much for doing this. It's always a pleasure to help get the word out about audio description. So thank you for doing this. Great. If everybody wants to hold tight for a second, uh, Clark and I will be back in a second to close out the show. This is Cindy Van Winkle, Membership Services Coordinator. If you are not already part of the ACB family, you can join us by going to acb.org or call us at 612-332-3242 and we'll help you join our community. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, we're just going to close out the show. Clark and I thought it'd be fun to kind of, you know, recap what we just heard about and then kind of talk about our own perspectives as people who are blind and visually impaired who use these products every day and see the direct impact of what the CVAA is and was and should be, all of the above. So, Clark, what did you pull out from our the, the two guests we had? What- sure, Claire. And, of course, big thank you to uh, the ACB member as well as I'll call him a technology expert, Sam Yale, shared with us about the FCC's Disability Advisory Committee, or DAC, and their recent work on audio description quality, as well as, in addition to audio description, the other aspects of uh, technology covered by the Communications Video Accessibility Act, like two-way communication, Mm -hmm. whether that's text communication, real-time or near, near real-time, as well as audio communication. And I, I tend to agree with Sam that that's an often overlooked part of the mm-hmm. CVAA, but is just as, uh, and potentially even more, has more long-lasting impacts uh, on the lives of people who are blind and visually impaired, making sure that we can access communications Use those to stay connected with the community, remain productive in school and in the workplace. And I think that once we have access through these technologies, whether it's smartphones, computers, tablets, you name it, it really opens up a world of possibilities. I completely agree. You know, when I when I sit back and think about all the different devices and 
uh, whether they're my personal life or my work life. And a lot of times the two bleed together, um, the different devices with, you know, communication systems, you know, it's not like the old days where you just talked on the phone. Now you're talking on this instant messaging and that email and this program, you know, just everything. So it's very, very widespread these days. And we're certainly fortunate to have Dr. Joel Snyder join us as well to talk about the great work of the audio description project at acb.org slash ADP. Uh, I always forget the different areas and venues that ADP covers, Claire. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It's so easy. <laughs> Maybe this shows who I am that I watch too much television, but we tend to think of just like uh, uh, Joel Snyder talked about the media um, being mostly television, um, especially under the CVAA and movies. But, you know, audio description can be applied in so many other situations, you know, live theater, ballets, dance, um, going to museums, going to national parks. I know we have some great projects right here in the DC area where you can go to monuments and and get audio description. So it's very Mm -hmm. widespread and it really opens the door to access to all kinds of great activities and shows and services um, for those of us who are blind and visually impaired. Yes. And I I think that in underlying theme or current that ran through both Sam's comments as well as Joel's was that we just want more. We want more, (laughs) dang it. (laughs) Not more than others have, but we want to be on equal footing and equal terms. So whether that's access to technology or once we have that access, making sure the information available is accessible to us, that we have a full and equally enriched experience. Yeah, I was really struck by the percentage Joel gave us that in the UK, they have to have 10%, but the hours we have compute to less than 1%. I knew it was low, but I'd never done the math to know it was less than 1%. That was that was a hard pill to swallow. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something like seven hours a week or one hour a day of audio described content on, on TV and on cable. Uh, and that these regulations don't even apply to streaming services or those services that look like streaming services, but you still have a box. So it's not a streaming service. Like, what, what even are those? And how do we make a rule or a regulation you know, or, fired up right, there, Clark. or a legislation so that we don't have to play whack-a-mole as technology and services evolve, right? How can we create Uh, rules or standards that just apply to access. Yeah, I think that's really important because, you know, technology changes. Clark and I were just talking about this one-on-one about how technology, what it looks like today in 2020 will not look the same in 2030 and 2040 and on and on. And so my personal perspective, at least, is that we can't just write a law that pertains to technology that stands still in one time because that's just not how it works. You know, if you look back to 2000 or 1980 technology changes. So personally, I think if we, I could wave my magic wand and have a law, it would be malleable and roll with the punches as far as the evolution of technology, because otherwise every 10 years, we're going to have to write a new law. Yeah. The the CVA was passed in 2010. Uh, Thank goodness. We already had the iPhone 3GS with voiceover at that time. But for example, Netflix, didn't come out with House of Cards and didn't start really driving forward the streaming market until 2013. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, 
policymakers and even us as advocates, we're not able to predict the future, right? If we if we were, we would have different jobs and right. a very different life. Right. So in our comments with Joel, it's great that Joel's talking about just increasing the availability, moving from hours to maybe percentage, um, taking audio description from known arenas like broadcast and cable to another known arena, which is streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as Sam shared with us, what about virtual reality? What about augmented reality? What about XR and things that are all of the above, somewhere in between or in, at this time, no definable bucket? Yes, he was saying that I'm, my head was just flashing of ideas of futuristic 3, 4D, 5D, just who knows what. It's it's a new frontier of technology. And so. it's it's certainly fun things to think about, uh, try to wrap our heads around. Uh, but one thing's for sure, we're not going to be able to do it alone. So we're fortunate yeah. to have great allies in the folks at the Audio Description Project, like Dr. Joel Snyder uh, and the others as well as the advisory committee at the FCC uh, with ACB members like Sam Yale and Carl Richardson and, and of course, others. So if these are issues that are of interest to you, of course, please let us know. Let the Audio Description Project know. You can visit acb.org slash ADP. Of course, we have our Information Access Committee, uh, as well as our... BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialist Affiliate, that are both very active uh, in these issues and love talking about and conversing on these topics. Yeah, definitely. So lots of lots of outlets in ACB if you're interested in these topics. Um, and as always, if you have any issues you need to reach out to us about, not just about technology, but also about technology, you can always reach us, Clark and myself here at ACB at advocacy at acb.org. So let us know if you're having, again, any tech issues or any other issues as well. That's right. And we always look forward to those messages at advocacy at acb.org. And Geez, Clary, I think that's about it. Yeah. So, you know, we usually say things at the end, like keep advocating, but I feel like we need to say something like keep watching television. <laughs> no, well, certainly. Thanks, Joel and others. Keep audio describing. <laughs> that's right. Keep audio describing. <laughs> and the rest of us keep advocating. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.